Welcome, my lovely listeners. Our first tale sees the murder of a rich diamond trader's wife, whose death is a surprise for both her husband, the police, and those that have just met her. The circumstances of her death is strange, and the planting of her body equally as strange. But there is a reason, of course, one that will reveal itself over the course of this episode in The Mystery of the Southern Star. And your second story is yet another mystery, a mystery of murder. <laughs> a young woman is tricked, duped, bamboozled into falling victim to, well, another victim, and arrested for a murder she did not commit, and murder is my business. Now folks, I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I spent mine with great pals of mine, watching Dracula, Dead and Loving It, Black Dynamite, just as my foot for all the Stephen Chow fans out there, and Police Story by Jackie Chan. Classic films. A good mix of comedy and action. That plus German sausages. Whew, what a weekend. Looking forward to copious amounts of tea to help me digest that over this week, I think. <laughs> okay, you awesome people. It's time to thank my fantastic white tea warlords who are also awesome people. Matthew J. Bauer, the gunsmith cat. Maya, the bullseye shooter, divided by zero the chip of the old block, I own cows, the moose assassin, and Lee Bauer, the sidewalk strangler. Thank you all for being brilliant, supporting the show, and putting that pep in my step every single day. Thank you so much, mates. This week, I'll be updating the White Tea Warlord rewards list, and also updating the tier list to better reflect what you get in supporting me and what I do and what I aim to give back to all of you, both in and out of the show. Cheers, mates. And my Earl Grey enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, and Robert Fisher. Thank you all for your support. Now, my moxie mates, let's sink our teeth in today's old-time radio stories. Imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is the haunting hour. The mystery of the southern star. ocean liner, several days out of South Africa, plows through the Atlantic toward America. Another turn around the deck, Mrs. Ashworth? Heavens no, Mr. Westcott. My goodness, I haven't walked so much in years. If you don't mind, I'll just collapse on one of these deck chairs for a while. 
Won't you join me? I'd be delighted. Well, only one more day and then America. It's been a fine trip. Yes, lovely. I really enjoyed it. Atlantic crossings can be very boring unless you meet the right company. You've been very charming, Mr. Westcott. Same to you, Mrs. Ashworth. There's one thing I regret, though. What's that? I haven't met your husband. Oh, Frederick. Well, he's been keeping to our cabin pretty much. You see, Mr. Westcott, he doesn't want to mix with people very much this trip. Indeed. Why not? Oh, it's not what you think. Frederick isn't antisocial or anything like that. You see, uh... Oh, well. Of course I can tell you. You see, my husband is with Dubois and Company in New York. Dubois? You mean the big diamond importers? Yes. They commissioned Frederick to travel abroad and purchase the Southern Star for a client. Southern Star? Why? Why, that's one of the biggest diamonds they ever took out of the Kimberley mine. Yes. Naturally, Frederick has to be very careful whom he meets this trip. Oh, of course. He's carrying a precious cargo. Personally, I'll stick to a nice humdrum business like stockbroking. I can't stand excitement. Oh, there's really no danger. It's only a precaution. I, uh... Why, here comes Frederick now. Frederick! Oh, there you are, Emily. I was just looking for you. Frederick, I want you to meet Mr. Westcott. I've told you about him several times. How do you do? I'm delighted to meet you, sir. Mr. Westcott's been charming, Frederick. I've already asked him to drop in on us when we get back to New York. It's excellent, excellent. Well, my dear, we'd better go down and dress for dinner. Mm-hmm. You'll excuse us, Mr. Westcott. Of course. I'll see you both later in the evening. Mm-hmm. Possibly, yes. Come along, Emily. Emily. Yes, Frederick? You've made a lot of friends this trip. Westcott and others. Why shouldn't I, my dear? What's wrong with that? Nothing, but you know what I'm carrying in the cabin. I hope you haven't mentioned it to anyone. Of course I haven't, Frederick. Good heavens, you talk as though I've been associating with criminals. Radiogram, Captain. Just in from communications. Thanks. Any answers, sir? No. Tell Sparks to send these messages, though. Aye, aye, sir. Captain Miller. Oh, good evening, Mr. Randall. What's the weather report? Good. Good. We ought to be in right on schedule. Yes, yes. It's been a nice, quiet trip. Captain Miller. Captain Miller! Yes? Come in. Why, Mr. Ashworth, what's the matter? What's wrong? My wife's disappeared. What? Are you sure? Yes, yes, I can't find her anywhere. I was in the lounge late and Mrs. Ashworth had retired to our cabin. When I returned, I found the lock broken. My belongings rifled and my wife had disappeared. And not only that, the diamond's gone. The Southern Star? Yes, but that doesn't matter now. It's my wife, Captain. I've gone all around the deck, asked the stewards, everything. No one's seen her. I'm afraid there's been foul play. The diamond... Steady, Mr. Ashworth, steady. Easy does it. I'll issue an order to search the ship at once. And then we'll take a look at your cabin. Well, whoever forced an entrance into your cabin here, Mr. Ashworth, certainly left it in an awful mess. Tell me, uh, where did you keep the diamond? In my wife's powder box. She kept it in a locked dresser case. It's gone. Well, what happened seems fairly simple. Someone aboard got wind that you were carrying the Southern Star. Broke into your cabin, surprised your wife. Come in. We've searched the ship, Captain. 
We haven't found a trace of Mrs. Ashworth. You've made an exhaustive search, Mr. Dennis? Yes, sir. We've looked into every nook and cranny of this ship, sir. I'm afraid she's gone. Overboard. Emily. Then it's true. She's really gone. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Ashworth. I, I know you want to be alone. But first, there's something I must ask you. Can you give me the names of the people your wife met on this trip? The ones she kept company with? Yes. Yes, I I think I can. There were at least five I knew about. Uh, Mr. Dennis. Yes, sir? Stand by and take down those names. I want to send a radiogram to the police in New York. Yes? Detective Lieutenant Henry Hinge to see you, Commissioner. All right, send him in. Good morning, Commissioner. Well, morning, Henry. Sit down. I've got a little job for you. Is it, sir? Yeah. Read this radiogram. Just came in from Captain Miller aboard the Lexitania. Southern Star, eh? That's quite a haul. For the cool half million, they tell me. That's right. Now, the Lexitania docks at 3 this afternoon at Pier 17. From here in, it's your baby. A tough baby, if I know anything about these seagoing crimes. In order to prove murder, usually, you have to produce a corpus delicti. The corpus delicti is always somewhere in the Atlantic. Yes, you're right, Hinge. But one thing we can be sure of. That big diamond isn't in the Atlantic. Someone aboard that liner has got it. And hopes to get through with it. information I can give you, Lieutenant Hinge. This terrible tragedy, well, I'm afraid it's unnerved me. Naturally, it's a terrible blow. We'll do our best to get to the bottom of it. Mr. Ashworth. Mr. Ashworth. Yes? I'm the customs official inspecting your baggage. There's one item you haven't declared. It's in this large trunk. But I, I don't understand. I'm quite sure I declared everything. There you are. Now take a look at this. Well, I open the trunk cover. this? Good heavens. It's my wife. Well, Hinge, are you going to hold Ashworth for the murder of his wife? No, Commissioner. In fact, I've already released him. But the body of Mrs. Ashworth was found in his trunk. That's true, Chief. But it doesn't follow that Ashworth put the corpse in his trunk. In fact, he would be the last man to do so. How do you come to that conclusion? Well, Ashworth is an experienced traveler. 
crossed the Atlantic several times. He'd be sure to know that the customs inspectors would open his trunk for examination. Would it be logical for him to hide the body there when it would be certain to be discovered? Well, uh, no, it wouldn't. Well, there's a second point, too. If Ashworth wanted to dispose of his wife, the easiest way would be to simply dump her overboard during the night. Then there would be no corpse to plague him. Yes, that's true. As I see it, someone's made an awkward attempt to throw a murder rap onto Ashworth. In fact, it's so amateurish, it's almost incredible. Who that someone is, I don't know as yet. There were 1,500 people aboard the Lectitania, and that's going to be quite a screening job. But there's one big break in this case I hadn't counted on. Yeah, what's that? The corpus delicti. It isn't at the bottom of the Atlantic this time, but right down at the morgue. I'm going down there soon and have a good look at it. I always like to see a corpse when there's been a murder. Something you can put your finger on. Yes? Commissioner, this is Sergeant O'Hearn. I hate to put in like this, but I wonder if I could speak to Lieutenant Hinge for a minute. Yes, for you, Hinge. It's Sergeant O'Hearn. Thanks. What is it, O'Hearn? Lieutenant, about those five suspects we picked up off of the boat. Mrs. Ashworth's friends. Yes? They're racing the roof. They say you've got no right to hold them any longer. All right, O'Hearn. Get them together and bring them to my office. I'll interrogate them there, one by one. asking me all those silly questions. Just because I happened to meet poor Mrs. Ashworth on the boat. It's a shame and a disgrace, that's what it is. My husband's a friend of the mayor, and I'll see that you get what's coming to you, Lieutenant Hinge. I'm sorry, Mrs. Jameson. It's just a matter of form, routine procedure. You're free to go now. Giving me the third degree is always a common criminal. As if I knew what happened to that poor woman on the boat. Oh, what a business. What a way to make a living. Yes, Lieutenant? There's one more of those ship's passengers waiting, isn't there, O'Hearn? Yes, the fifth and last. Any luck, Lieutenant? No, they all seem to be on the level. Send in the last one, will you? Right. Lieutenant, I wish to register the most violent protest at this unwarranted examination. This is an outrage. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, Sit down. Try to make this as brief as possible. Merely a matter of routine. No, you're just off the boat and that you're anxious to get home. Well, well, what do you want to know? Your name? Leonard Westcott. Occupation? Stockbroker. How well did you know Mrs. Ashworth? Not very well. I just met her aboard the Lexitania. We spent some time together and... Now, look here, Lieutenant. You're not implying that, that I... you what, Fingers? What? What did you call me? Fingers. Fingers Faraday. You ought to know your own name. What? I don't know what you're talking about. So you're a stockbroker now, eh, Fingers? Pretty dull occupation for one of the world's cleverest jewel thieves. I tell you, my name's Westcott. Don't waste my time, Fingers. I've got a long memory for faces. That scar on the thumb of your right hand hasn't changed a bit. Okay, okay. So you know. What of it? I haven't done anything. Where's the Southern Star? I tell you, I didn't have a thing to do with it. I don't know where it is. Better talk now, Fingers. This isn't just a diamond theft. There's a murder raft that goes with this one. Look, Hinge, you've got to believe me. Sure, I knew about the Southern Star, but I never got a crack at it, honest. I don't know where it is or how Mrs. Ashworth got knocked off. The jury might not believe a man with your record, Fingers. Better talk now. I'm not saying anything. I don't know anything and you can't prove anything, see? All right, we'll put you on ice for a little while. Maybe your memory will come back to you. Now for Act Two of our story, The Mystery of the Southern Star. As you will recall, 
Frederick Ashworth and his wife had gone to South Africa to purchase the fabulous diamond called the Southern Star for the New York jewel importing firm of Dubois and Company. On board the liner Lexitania, on the return voyage to America, Ashworth's cabin was rifled, and both his wife and the diamond disappeared. The ship's captain radioed New York police, and Detective Lieutenant Henry Hinge met Ashworth at the pier. The two men were just about to go down to police headquarters when the customs inspector opened one of Ashworth's trunks. It contained the strangled body of his wife. Ashworth is heartbroken over the death of his wife, and the disappearance of the fabulous diamond, the Southern Star, means little to him in his grief. Detective Lieutenant Hinge, in his investigation of the case, has come to the conclusion that Ashworth is innocent of the murder. For Ashworth is a traveled man and knows too well the thoroughness of examination by the customs officers. And he really wanted to dispose of his wife. The simpler method would have been to push her overboard in the night. Of the 1,500 passengers aboard the murder ship, the Lexitania, Henry Hinge questions five who had met Mrs. Ashworth on the voyage to America. From these people, he learns nothing at all. But then a man called Westcott, a stockbroker, is brought in for questioning. And a gleam of memory flashes in the veteran police lieutenant's mind. Hinge remembers the face. He knows that Westcott is none other than Fingers Faraday, one of the world's cleverest jewel thieves. Hinge accuses Fingers of stealing the Southern Star and says to him, Man, mind. Jury might not believe a man with your record fingers. Better talk now. I'm not saying anything. I don't know anything, and you can't prove anything, see? All right, we'll put you on ice for a little while. Maybe your memory will come back to you. I tell you, there's nothing to remember. I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. Cool off, fingers. This time we've got a murder on the high seas and the corpus delicti. You know, I've got a funny feeling. That corpse may have something to tell us. You have any idea what it could be? No, no, I tell you... Okay, suppose you cool your heels in the cell while I go down to the morgue and have a little talk. With the corpse. Well, Albert, I'm pretty cheerful this morning. Uh, hello, Lieutenant Hinge. <laughs> you know me. Whistle while I work. There's business here at the morgue. Bowman, Lieutenant. Bowman. I got three new customers today and never a complaint. I don't know where I'm going to put them all. We're full up. <laughs> Medical examiner got here yet? Uh, Mr. Adams? Yeah. Uh, no, I ain't seen him. Uh, you and him meeting somewhere here this morning? Yeah. Mrs. Ashworth. Ah, oh, she lives right over here in drawer 634. Oh, here's the medical examiner now. Uh, morning, Hens. Morning. Albert? Are we all ready to look at the body? Yes, sir. I'll bring her right out. There she is. Now, if you gentlemen will excuse me, I have a little work to do. Well, Adams. Hmm. Strangled by a person or persons unknown. Marks on the neck indicate someone with powerful hands did the trick. Victim put up a struggle. Uh, note the bruises on the back and face. Yeah. My guess is that rigor mortis set in about... Uh... Wait a minute. That's strange. Very strange. What? The victim's mouth is shut tight. 
That's right. Strangled victim always dies with his mouth wide open, fighting for air. Precisely. It's quite clear that the killer forced Mrs. Ashworth's mouth shut after she was dead. Although, for what reason, I haven't the faintest idea. I think I may have. Adams, when can you arrange an autopsy? Oh, I'm not sure it's necessary. Cause of death is obviously strangulation. However, I could make all the arrangements by tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, eh? I'll be fine. Come in. Why, it's Mr. Ashworth. Yes, Lieutenant Hinge. I... Uh, I'm sorry. The medical examiner and I were just looking over your wife's body. You shouldn't have come here, Mr. Ashworth. Well, I... I came to claim my wife's body for a proper burial. I'm afraid we can't release her now, Mr. Ashworth. But why not? I'm her husband, her nearest living relative. Surely you don't think I wanted to stay in this cold and dismal place among all these other corpses? Lieutenant Hinge, I want my wife to have a decent burial now. It's sacrilege to keep her here. I'm sorry, Mr. Ashworth. Under any other circumstances, of course, you could claim the body. But this is a criminal investigation. We're planning to form an autopsy on uh, Mrs. Ashworth tomorrow. Autopsy? Yeah. But, but what on earth will that prove? I'll know better when we finish it. Well, I'll not permit it. Do you hear? I'll not permit any such nonsense. I have my legal rights and I'm going to exercise them. Ah, he seemed pretty upset. Yeah, you say I blame him, though, Adams. Draw all the woman's his wife. Uh, you're through with my client, Lieutenant? Yes, Albert. We're all through. We'll put her away now. Well, this is my last one. Number 634. Out pretty late, huh? <laughs> All the rest of my children are sleeping for the night. Well, in you go now. I don't know why it is, Adams, but the more it depresses me more in the morning than it does at night. Yes, me too. I've been in here a thousand times, and I can never get used to it. And by the way, Hens, I see by this morning's paper that you've released Fingers Faraday. Yeah. We didn't really have anything on him, except the fact he was on the Lexitania. You can only hold a man on suspicion so long. Yes, I suppose so. That crook is capable of anything. Well, here we are. Hmm. Albert doesn't seem to be around. Well, still a little early in the morning. Let me see. Uh, Mrs. Ashworth's body was in drawer 634, wasn't it? That's right. Ah. Here we are. Yeah. Now we'll take off the shroud and... Hinge. Hinge, look. Yes? Why? Why, it's the body of Albert, the morgue keeper. He's been strangled. But where's Mrs. Ashworth? Somebody with a grim sense of humor came in and stole the corpse last night. And I think I know who it is. Where's the phone, Adams? Oh, there on the desk. Oh, poor Albert. He was such a cheerful fellow. Operator! Operator! Get me Sergeant O'Hearn, homicide. Police headquarters, at once. In stalking. Oh, now, look, I told you, newspaper boys, I'd break this case within 24 hours, and I will. That's a promise. Yes, I'll even tell you why anybody would want to steal a corpse. Now, be a nice fellow and leave me alone for a while, will you? I've got a lot to do. Lieutenant Hinge. Oh, it's you, Mr. Ashworth. The newspapers are full of this terrible episode down at the morgue. 
If you'd have turned over the body to me yesterday, this wouldn't have happened. It's disgraceful, sir. Disgraceful. I demand action. Where's my wife? Suppose you tell me, Mr. Ashworth. What did you say? I said, suppose you tell me. You know where she is. Why, why this is absurd. Ridiculous. Is it, my friend? Well, you can't prove one word of this preposterous accusation. Can I? Certainly not. I defy you to try. All right. Let's begin at the beginning with the motive. In the first place, you needed money badly. You lost heavily at gambling and also through bad business investments. Very heavily. How did you know that? Investigated. Routine here at the department. All right, let's go on. Your wife was heavily insured and you had the Southern Star aboard the Lexitania. They both added up to money. So you strangled your wife, forced the gem down her throat, and closed her mouth so it wouldn't be detected. Then you stuffed her in your trunk, messed up the cabin, and reported to the captain. Am I right? <laughs> You're talking nonsense. I'm talking logic. The trick was clever. Point number one, it diverted the attention of the police, including myself, from you as the killer, just as you figured. Naturally, a man in his right mind wouldn't use the trunk to hide the corpse, knowing that customs would surely open it. <laughs> Go on, Lieutenant Hinge. I find this very funny. I don't think you will later. But to get back, hiding the Southern Star in your wife's throat was a clever way to get it by the customs officer. An almost foolproof way, and it worked. You reasoned that all you had to do was claim your wife's body for burial, take it home, and recover the diamond. When you were balked in this, you entered the morgue, killed Albert, left him in the drawer, and took the body of Mrs. Ashworth away. Very pretty. Very pretty and rather macabre. But you can't prove it. Oh, yes, I can. There's one little detail... One little detail in which a jury will send you to the chair, Mr. Ashworth. And what's that? You were the only outsider who knew in which morgue drawer your wife's body was located. Drawer 634. It would have taken you hours to find it otherwise. You saw the number when you came in to claim the body. And you went straight to it when you returned. No. No, it, it could have been someone else, I tell you. That's not enough. You'll never convict me on that. In speaking. Lieutenant, we found the body was buried in the cellar of the Ashworth place here. Good work, O'Hearn. What about the diamond? We got that, too. Found it in a bureau drawer upstairs. Well, that's that. What about Ashworth himself, Lieutenant? We haven't located him. Oh, that's all right, O'Hearn. Don't worry about him. He just came down to headquarters here to give himself up. Shadows and stillness. Mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubt and fear. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. the stillness of this moment, for this is a time of mystery, a time when imagination is free and moves forward swiftly, silently. This is 
the haunting hour. Murder is my business. Tomorrow is a word full of mystery, for not even the wisest seer can tell you what tomorrow brings, and today you stand on its threshold, waiting for what? Ah, yes, you say, but nothing will happen to me, and I say in reply that as surely as you doubt, one of your tomorrows, and maybe more will be filled with adventure beyond your maddest dream, and I have proof. Listen. This is the story of one tomorrow, of what happened to a girl named Maggie Stewart. And like all stories of sudden, unexpected adventure, hers has a prologue. You will not understand this prologue, for like Maggie, you are shrouded with the darkness of the unknown that is tomorrow. It begins on a streamliner, its silver nose pointing south, its wheels humming with speed. And in the prologue are two people, identities unknown, a man and a woman. The man sits stiffly on seat seven in car 13. He is silent, on his face an expression of impatience. At last he gets up, walks quickly to the end of the coach, turns down the narrow corridor and stops at the curtain doorway of the ladies' lounge. And then he says, Maggie, don't be a fool. Come to your seat. I won't come. I won't. We've got to get off this train at the next stop. I tell you, I can't go on. That imagination of yours is driving me crazy. For heaven's sake, stop thinking about it. Come to your seat. I won't. I don't want to be killed. I'm not ready to die. Good night, Aggie. You're just plain silly. But he's on the train. I know he is. You've got to believe me, Carl. Well, I don't. You've seen him dozens of times before. I thought you did. He got on this train when we did in New York. You're scaring yourself into a fit. Now stop it. Somebody's going to notice. I don't care. I'm getting off this train, do you hear? I'm not going to stay here and be murdered. All right. All right. The next station. Anything to stop all this foolishness. We can take another train. We can watch and see if he gets off, too. And if he does, we... What is the next station? Uh, little town. Roslyn, I think. Then it's settled. Are you coming to your seat? No. Well, I'm going to take a nap. You'd better wake me when we get there. I paid for that blooming seat, and I'm going to sit in it. Two people on a train, and their companion is death. But what has all this to do with Maggie Stewart? Give patience to your ear. Listen. The streamliner comes to a stop. The station is marked Roslyn. It is strangely empty. A girl comes running up the platform stairs, a small suitcase in one hand, a white silk scarf in the other, and a large black purse under her arm. She looks hastily down the line of coaches. A single porter is leaning out from the steps of a car just ahead. No one is getting off the streamliner. The girl catches her breath. This way, miss. All aboard. Train to Greenville? Sure is, miss. Oh, I made it. She climbs the steps of car 13. The porter reaches for her suitcase, but she darts it onto the platform, peers through the door window. The coast is clear. So far, so good. She pushes hard on the stubborn door, makes a few cautious steps in the narrow corridor, and quickly goes through a curtain doorway into the washroom. 
She's escaped the porter, but still she is not alone. A woman stands against the wall, her face strained with fright. Was that town, Rosalind? Yes, it was. Oh, I'm out of breath. I nearly didn't make it. What's the next stop? Uh, I think Pell City, but, but maybe this train doesn't stop there. I'm not sure. Oh, me, I ran all the way. <laughs> you came in so suddenly. You frightened me. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Uh, ring the porter's bell there and he'll come for your bag. Uh, oh, no, I'll, uh, I'll just slip it in here against the wall. I- I'm not going very far. Oh, that's a gun. Oh, don't think I'm a criminal or something. I, I had it wrapped in this scarf here so nobody would see it until I could put it away. And now I... What would a young lady like you be doing with a revolver? Well, now, that's exactly what I told Aunt Margaret people would say. Oh, here, I'll put it in my pocketbook. Aunt Margaret's so old-fashioned. Imagine. She came flying down to the station just to give me that revolver. Why? Oh, I don't know. Uncle Jim used to make her carry it. Oh, he was on the road so much, so Aunt Margaret... Well, she's very fond of me, and I took it just to please her. Uh, is something the matter? You look... Oh, oh no, I'm all right, thank you. It's, it's the train, the, the motion. Well, oh, maybe a cup of water. Oh, no, it's nothing. Don't think about it. You... You said you weren't going far. How far? <laughs> Just four hours from here. I spent a whole week on a farm a few miles outside of Greenville. Uh, a girlfriend of mine had it. Oh, vacation? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all so unexpected. That's why I nearly missed the train. Maybe... Why, uh, why don't you sit down here? Maybe you'll feel better sitting down. Oh, I'm quite all right now. I'd rather stand. Oh, well, uh, I work in the Roslyn Library. I didn't start there till last March, so I'm not really entitled to a vacation this year. But with the holidays coming like they do, Mrs. Hart said I might have the time off. Uh, is it a vacation for you, too? You might call it that. Guess you're used to riding trains. Oh, has the conductor been by to take the tickets? I don't know. I can't really remember. Oh, I really am in a fix. At the last minute, I couldn't get a reservation. Only a ticket for the coach train tonight. You mean you don't have a seat? Uh, wait, listen. What is it? Well, there's a man on this train that I've been avoiding. Uh, would you look out in the corridor for me? I think I heard him. Let's just see if there's a man out there. All right. Is he somebody you know? Uh, not at all there. Well, to tell you the truth, he frightens me a little. But it's nothing. So you don't have a reservation? No. Do you think they'll put me off? Oh, Aunt Margaret said they were sure to, but I do have a ticket. I don't know. I hear they're very strict. Well, I thought because I'm not going very far that I could just stay in here. Well, there's no need for you to do that. Take my seat for a little while. Oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. Oh, I insist. I'd be happy for you to have it. In a way, you'd be doing me a favor, and I really can't sit there, the motion of the car. I'd be much better off in here lying down. Oh, but I, I don't think it's right for me to deprive you. you're not depriving me. And this trip means more to you anyway. I would hate to be kicked off. Then you run along. Number seven on the right. There's a middle-aged man on the opposite seat. He's probably sound asleep snoring. <laughs> well, you're sure now that I'm not... Well, I suppose I could wait till we're nearly to Greenville and, and then give the conductor my ticket and explain Of course. And then if it puts you off, it'll be all right. You'll be where you're going. You run along now. Well, I will then. Thank you so much. Oh, I suppose my suitcase will be all right here. I'll watch it for you. Oh, here. Here, don't forget your purse. And that Margaret's ominous revolver. <laughs> Thank you so much. Goodbye for now. I'll see you later on. And I do hope you're better. Uh, number seven? That's right. Where the man is asleep. <laughs> Maggie Stewart sits quietly, her eyes following the swift-moving landscape of trees and hills. Directly in front of her is a sleeping man. 
But he is silent now, his head tilted back on the seat. There's something about him, something eerie. Faint chatterings come from the other occupants of the car. At last, the train slows down, stops. Maggie notices the station is Pell City. Still, the man opposite her does not move. The train starts again. The cars groan and jerk. And then, like a picture in slow motion, the man slides from the seat into a limp mass of death at her feet. looking for his pulse, Conductor. Man's stone dead. Oh, please. Please help me out of here. Step up for the seat. Stand back, please. Let the young lady out. Oh, you're right. He is dead. Shot. Uh, who are you? Name's Wayne O'Hara, Detective Sergeant, New York City. Murder's my business. Murder? Good night. Yeah, quiet, quiet. Let's have quiet here, please. Well, this is a case for the police. Young lady, do you know anything about this? Oh, no. No, no, sir. He... I thought he was asleep. She said he wasn't. And then when the train jerked like that... Who said he was asleep? Oh, the woman in the lounge. So this is her seat. I was only sitting in it. Oh, where's your seat? I, I, I don't have one. I got on at Rosalind. No reservation, huh? Do you know this man? No. I never saw him before. Never. You got a ticket? Yes, sir. Right here in my purse. You see, I'm only going to Greenville, Conductor, and I thought... Yeah. What's the matter? His purse. It isn't mine. It belonged to that woman in the lounge. I must have picked it up by mistake. Hmm. Mighty funny. Well, she's there in the lounge. She, she wasn't feeling well. My suitcase is there, too. Well, we'll soon find out. Uh, Detective uh, Sergeant O'Hara. Uh, you take charge. I'll be right back. Stand back, please. Let me buy you. Stand back. What's your name? Uh, Maggie Stewart. Well, I don't know anything about this, honestly. Let's see that first. Here. Must be a card. Some kind of an indication. Ah, yes. Here's a wallet. This is Leonard Carl Tatum, New York City. Is that the woman's name? I don't know. I, I didn't ask her name. Let's see. Uh-huh. Bag up down the rack. Initials L-C-T. Well, might be hers. Oh, please. I, I can't stand here looking at him. Well, then sit down, Miss Stewart. Over here. Oh, please, lady. Don't block the aisle. Oh, that poor girl. She's white as a sheet. I have some spelling salt in my bag up there. Oh, no. I, I'll be all right. Thank you. Uh, there's nobody in the ladies' lounge. Nobody at all. Oh, but she must be. Would you know her if you saw her again? Oh, yes, of course I would. No suitcase in the lounge either. Nothing. Then where is it? I left it there, right there. Oh, you just didn't see it. Well, here's the dead man's wallet, conductor. It was Leonard Carl Tatum, also of New York. His purse belongs to his wife. Well, then she's the woman I talked with, don't you see? You've got to find her. She's on the train somewhere. There, there now, young lady. Take it easy. Oh, look. Look there under the seat, the one I was sitting in. Hmm. Well. Oh. Don't touch it, conductor. It might be fingerprints. Here, let me. I'll use this handkerchief. The murder weapon. A six-shooter. Equipped with a silencer. Well, don't look at me like that. I don't know how it got there. I, I never saw it before. Oh, please search the train. Yes, I suggest you do, Conductor, before the next stop. Oh, she killed him. I know she did. 
That's why that's why she said he was sleeping. She she wants you to think I did. No, no. That's for the police to decide. Oh, but it's so true. It's so clear now. There's no use searching for. Why do you say that? Because now I understand what happened. She switched pocketbooks with me. She insisted I take her seat. And then when the train stopped at Pell City, she took my suitcase and got off. She planned it all so I'd be accused of murder. <laughs> When Maggie Stewart, off on a vacation, boarded the streamliner without a reservation, she started on an amazing adventure of murder. In the ladies' lounge, Maggie met an older woman who offered her her reservation. And sitting there, Maggie was horrified when the man on the seat opposite whom she had brought asleep fell in a heap on the floor, dead. When the conductor arrived and with him a man who identified himself as Sergeant Wayne O'Hara of the New York Police. Maggie discovered she was carrying the pocketbook belonging to the woman, a Mrs. Tatum, who had disappeared from the lounge, taking Maggie's suitcase with her. Then she realized it was planned. Planned so that she, Maggie Stewart, would be accused of murder. It is a few minutes later, when the conductor, Sergeant O'Hara, and Maggie have gone the length of the train in search of the mysterious Mrs. Tatum, wife of the dead man. Well, that does it. She's not here in the club car. She's certainly not on this train. I knew it was no use, Conductor. I tell you, she got off at Pell City. I know she did. I think Miss Stewart's right, Conductor. Well, then I'll have to turn everything over to the police in Greenville as soon as we get there. Forty-five minutes from now. And they'll arrest me. What'll I do? Now, now, might be the whole thing will clear itself up. Sergeant O'Hara, since you're a representative of the law, do you mind taking over the custody of this young lady till we get to Greenville? Glad to, Conductor. And that uh, lethal weapon, you better hold on to that, too. All right, Conductor. I guess I better go, then, and get my passenger settled down. Mr. O'Hara, what am I going to do? I'll just sit down in this chair. Relax. And don't worry. But what'll they do to me? Oh, oh it's my scarf. It, it's caught on something. You're typing, I think. Oh. Well, that's a novel way of handcuffing a young lady, isn't it? Uh, there. Now you're free again. Uh, and just sit down. Take it easy. But I don't understand. I'm mean. What's the matter? Mr. O'Hara. Uh, that is your name, isn't it? Detective Sergeant Wayne O'Hara, New York. You don't think I killed the man, do you? Frankly, no. We could only find her. It's awful when your hands are tied like this, when you can't... Oh, but you can, Miss Stewart. Can what? You can at least look for her yourself. Oh, but we have. We, we look no, no. I mean back in Pell City where she got off. Oh. Why not? Find her. Prove your innocence. You wait till the Greenville police get going. It might be too late. I haven't got cuffs on you. You go back with me? Back to Pell City? You say the word. Yes, but how'd we get off the train? Oh, that wouldn't be hard. Look out the window. We're in the mountains. On the upgrades, we'll slow down. Oh. That's only a suggestion. I've always been a man of action myself. Murder's my business. And I'd like to see these things, too. And now I'm afraid murder's my business. All right, Sergeant O'Hara. Let's go. You all right back there? It's them tools getting away. All right, all right. We're very thankful for this lift. Uh, how long will it take to tell City? Oh, now, uh, about half hour, I reckon. I just teach you relax and enjoy the scenery. Quite a pretty country around here, about. 
Child cutter, isn't it? Sergeant O'Hara, do, do you really think we're doing the right thing? How can we ever find her? How many hotels are there in Bell City? I don't know. Must be a dozen, maybe 20. Why? Well, she's in one of them. Bound to be. A woman who just killed a man? She's nervous. What she wants to do is go somewhere and be alone. Think. Pull herself together. Well, maybe that's so, but who will you ask for? She's certainly not going to be registered as Mrs. Tatum. No, you're quite right. But it's really very simple. Simple? What do you mean? She walked off with your pocketbook, didn't she? Well, we'll ask for Maggie Stewart. <laughs> Miss Maggie Stewart, please. Stewart. S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Maggie Stewart. Hello. Uh, let me speak to Miss Stewart, please. Stewart? We have several Stewart. Uh, her first name is Maggie. Uh, maybe she's registered as Margaret. No, Margaret Stewart, but we do have a Miss Maggie Stewart, room 520. I'll ring her. Oh, no. No, don't ring her. I'll, um, I'll drop by to see her. Thank you. You're welcome, madam. Oh, dear. What do I do now? Oh, Maggie Stewart, have you lost your nerve? Uh, operator, give me the police, quick. Hello. Hello, this is Mrs. Leonard Carl Tatum speaking. What I've got to tell you is a matter of life and death, so listen carefully. In Greenville, the police are searching for a girl who calls herself Maggie Stewart. Yes, she murdered my husband. In a few minutes, I'll be at the McMillan Hotel. I'll be wearing a white silk scarf. If you follow me, I'll lead you to Maggie Stewart. But if you interfere, if you stop me, she'll get away again. Be at the McMillan Hotel in ten minutes. Oh. Sergeant O'Hara, quick, I found her! After all, Mr. You know, I'm just a bellboy around here. I ain't supposed to let anybody in these rooms. Sergeant O'Hara, look. Look my suitcase on the bed. And it is the woman from the train. Yes, but where is she? Gone. Oh. Went out about two hours ago. You know where? I might, if I was encouraged to remember. Yeah. It's five bucks. Remember? Middle-aged woman, wasn't she? Uh, and a tall, well-dressed. Oh, that's right. But, but where'd she go? She sent me out to run a car. Said she was going to drive over to Lake Wynette. Asked me how to get there. Lake Wynette? Why would she go there? Oh, I see. Listen, we'll rent a car. We hurry, we can make it before nightfall. Now I know where she is. But I don't understand, Cardinal O'Hara. Please tell me what this is all about. Only a matter of deduction, Miss Stewart. I happen to know this lake. There's only one house on it. So Mrs. Tatum must be there. But how could you know? I'm frightened. Well, you're stopping. Mm-hmm. We'll walk up. We'll surprise her. Then, uh, uh, then let me stay here in the car. I'll wait for you. No. We've gone this far together. You've got to come. Sergeant O'Hara, wait. What is it, Miss Stewart? I... I know you're not a detective. Of course. I thought you did. Ever since we started for this place. Tell me, how'd you find out? When did I give myself away? In the train. My scarf caught on your typing initials. The letters don't stand for Wayne O'Hara. Ah, you're clever. I'm a fool. Forgot to take it off. All right, come on. We're wasting time. There's going to be another murder. Oh, please let me go. 
There's no one here. The house is dark. There's a car on the drive under the trees. Come along. There's a side door. You, you have a key to this place. Who are you? Who? In a moment, we'll be inside. Keep quiet. Don't talk. Stand behind me. You've got this gun in my pocket. Gun for the train. Come on. Follow me. Stand where you are if you move out. Oh, I can see you both in the open doorway. Close it. Go on, close it. Now then. I knew you'd follow me, Mr. Donald Graves Lambert. And tell Freddy I said he's determined to find me and why not let him? What better place to have this whole thing over with than at his own country house? You do know all about me, don't you, Mrs. Taylor? This is your house? Didn't you suspect that, Miss Stewart? Why'd you bring that girl? No, a coward. But I didn't fool you, did I, Mr. Lambert? No. Miss Stewart, this woman knew I was out to kill her. She suspected I was on a train. That's why she hid in the lounge. But how did you know your husband was dead, Mrs. Tatum? I saw him. Around the corner of the corridor when I mustered up enough nerve to step outside the lounge for a moment. There was something about... Oh, please. Please let me go. You'll never leave this house alive, Miss Stewart. In a moment, I'll turn on the lights for Mr. Lambert's benefit. It would be a shame for him to die without seeing the woman who killed him. She's right, Miss Stewart. I knew her husband, but I haven't the faintest notion what Mrs. Tatum looks like. She counted on that when she gave you her seat. She thought I'd kill you. And then from the pocketbook, you'd be identified as Mrs. Tatum. Oh, please, I, I beg of you. I know nothing of all this. I'll never say a word if you only... Miss Stewart, you're forgetting. You're wanted for murder. If she kills me, she'll kill you to cover up. Because killing you, Mr. Lambert, is the only way to avenge my husband's brutal death. Brutal? <laughs> for him, no death could be brutal enough. You and he, Mrs. Tatum, killed my wife. And surely you're standing there, you murdered her. You're crazy. You drained her of one fortune with your lecherous blackmailing schemes. And when her money was gone, when you threatened to expose her little misunderstanding to me, she took the shortest road she knew. How much she loved me. This woman you killed. And before she died, she told me about you and your husband. It's taken me a year to find you. Twelve months of searching for this night. You know more than I thought you knew, Mr. Lambert. Now look at me. Take one good last look. Oh, Margaret's revolver. Yes, it was in your purse. Remember, Miss Stewart? Yes, and I remember something else. Mr. Lambert. Mr. Lambert. Keep your hands up. Don't move. Had Margaret's revolver and all its life. It never had a bullet in it. That's not true. That's not true. Yes, Mr. Tatum, it is true. But this gun now. This gun that killed your husband. This gun has only one bullet missing. You better put up your hands. Oh, Mr. Lambert, don't. It, it's no use. I didn't tell you, but I called the police. Okay. We heard everything you said. It's better than any confession I ever came across. All right, keep them up there, Mrs. Tatum. Well, Miss Stewart, cleverer than I thought. Have a cross, ma'am. I thought you were trying to help, but you weren't. You were only using me to find... to kill Mrs. Tatum. Officer, this man is a murderer. Yes, officer, you're quite right. You've got a score to even with her, too. i got to warn you. Anything you yes, say... Yes, we know, we know. But listen, this young lady here was wrongly accused. She had nothing to do with any of it. We heard all that from outside. All right, come on. We're going to take you two in. Then uh, I can go, officer? Sure, after a few questions. Oh. We got you to thank for everything. Well, what else could I do? I was accused of murder, so murder was my business. From shadows and stillness... Mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts 
hearts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. Just brilliant. The second tale was a little hard to clean up, quite a challenge. The first one, not so much. The shh and crackling sounds, ugh, so painful to remove. The catch with cleaning those kind of stories up is you lose data. And I must have tried so many different combos to fix it, and got close, I think. But unfortunately, not all of it. I just can't have you lovelies listening to white noise for 50% of the episode. I have standards, mates, and if I can't listen to it, there's no way in hell I'd allow any of you to listen to it. Only the best for you lot. Now, which of the two did you like the most? I prefer the first one, but not by too much. Although it was slightly predictable, the characters were cheeky. The double twist from both the husband and the police really had me going. And I almost waited for yet another twist from some other character, but that never eventuated. The second story, though, does have its own charm. The belief in the woman not being the killer, and her attitude and reaction speaking volumes to the police. It's really interesting to see that intrinsic good-natured personality being rewarded for a change. <laughs> okay, listeners, this Wednesday is going to be a set of creepy tales, so join me then. A special set, actually. Have a wonderful Monday and Tuesday, and as always, till next, we meet.